Let us pray. Father, we magnify your name. And we praise you because it just makes sense to give the Lord praise. You have been so awesome in our lives. And Father, as I stand here before those that I lead, talking with them and praying with them and spending time with them, I know that the enemy would wish to shut their mouths to keep them from giving you the praise that is due your name. But I thank you today for the women in worship being used of God to loosen our tongues that we might offer unto God that which we were created for and that which is he is due. And so we remove all our external accoutrements that would make us look like we're better than we are. And we stand naked in your presence. No fig leaves in here. You see us as we are. And God, as we stand exposed in your presence, knowing that we should have died on sight, we give you the praise and glory that is due to the name of Jesus Christ. Because your mercy endures to all generations. Now we ask, Lord, that your word would be made plain and clear to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask if the ushers at this time will open the doors and we want to make sure that all of our young people and old people and anybody that's hanging in the hallways will come on in at this time. Open the doors at this time. Let's give everybody an opportunity to come in before the word of God is preached and not during. Come on, say amen, somebody. We thank God for that. It's an awesome experience that we have had in his presence so far. Would you say amen? Amen. Would you turn with me in your Bibles? To Numbers chapter 14. Numbers, the 14th chapter. And uh, we'll start at verse 1. We'll go verse 1 through 4, and then we're going to go to verses 26 through 35. Thank God for the word of God that was preached to us last week by Sister Tamika Kamen. At the church, say amen. That word got me through the week. Sister Tamika, and I want to again thank you publicly for allowing the Lord to use you in a very special way. Today we're going to continue our series. Before we do, we just want to make sure everybody's up in here. Are we good? All right, praise the Lord. Numbers the 14th chapter and verse number one, and I want to read in your hearing, the Bible says, that night... All the people. Now, the Bible doesn't make mistakes. Remember now, we're talking about at least between three to four million Israelites. Um, I reckon that's about the, Cle- the, the metropolitan Cleveland area. Last time I checked Wikipedia, we're hovering around two million. So to consider for a moment if the entire city of Cleveland... Did what, we're about to, did what we're about to read. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices. And I want to emphasize the voices here. The title of my sermon today is Watch Your Mouth. Raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites. My Lord, the Bible is very particular here in the language that you... How many, Everybody? All the Israelites grumbled. They all did. And notice now, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, now how'd they get here? If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why, now they're blaming God, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword. Well, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm actually glad they got honest for a while. Understand this. When you complain against leadership, you complain against God. Amen. 
Oh, can't get nobody to talk to me here today. When you complain against leadership, you're really complaining against God. I'm going to show you that in a minute. It, I mean, it ain't Aaron and it ain't Moses. Just be real. It's God that you have a problem with. And, and the Bible goes on to say here, it says, uh, verse 3, Why is the Lord, thank you for being honest, bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt. Wow. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. If you read Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy says that they actually had a meeting and chose another leader. Now, the reason why we don't know who he is is because God didn't recognize him. Can you imagine that? They complained against Moses. They complained against Aaron. They complained against God, called a church business meeting and said, Moses, you're out. Aaron, you're out. God, you're out. We got another leader and he's taking us back to Egypt. Go on now to verse 26. Let's look at the Lord's response to this matter. Let's <laughs> see what the Lord had to say concerning this. The Bible says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? Now notice, did I tell you? God takes it personally. Understand what I'm saying here. When we complain about people, God takes it personally. The Bible says, no, am I not right here? He, look now, the Bible says, uh, in verse 26, he says, he says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, in verse 27, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard, ah, he is, God is listening to what comes out of our mouths. I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So, so tell them, as surely as I live, how many know he surely lives? <laughs> that means something about to happen here. He says, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things, watch this, this is what I, this is what I want to preach today. I will do to you the very things I heard you say. Wow! Did you catch that? Uh, let me read that one more time. He says in verse 2, he says, he says, he says, he says so, so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, he says, I will do to you the very things I heard in your heart. That I read your mind about. Now, how many know it's all about our hearts? Right? I mean, uh, for, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But you don't have to say everything in your heart. They got in trouble because they did not watch their mouths. And God heard them. And God was offended by this. Now, can I just tell you something for a split, split second? I have a mouth problem. Come on. Why, why the delayed amens? I, I, we, anybody up in here, got trouble with your mouth. I remember I told the story, and you probably have heard it a million times, but as a kid, I was born with a mouth. Everybody was born with a mouth. I'm, I'm talking about a mouth. Isn't it amazing how God uses the very thing that gets you in trouble to do his work? Come on, say amen, somebody. And I, and I will admit to you, at the same, as, as the Bible says here, both out of this mouth come blessing and curses. I come from a cussing family. And we all go to church. Somebody say amen in here. Smart mouth folk in my genes. Witty, we're witty, 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 witty people in the Edmonds family always have an answer for something. And the mantra in my family, I don't know about yours, is we just keep it real. If I feel it, I say it. And we try to cover that thing up with, with spiritual language that God just wants me to be real. And, and I, I, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. But everything that is true does not need to be said. God help me and the rest of these lying folk in here who don't want to admit it that we need God we need help with our mouths 
No, you're not going to hell because you get high. No, you're not going to hell because you are uh, you, you a philanderer and, and you're out there, a whoremonger. No, you are going down. You did not get in the promised land. You are standing at Kadesh. Kadesh represents the place just before the, the, the promised land. God says, you, you will not go in. Forty years you will stay and die in the desert because of your mouth. The plan of salvation was postponed 40 years because folks' mouths. And I read in uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, Ellen White actually says, he said, a lot of times we think because stuff happened, God wanted it to happen. Understand this, everybody. They delayed the coming of Christ by 40 years because of their mouths. And, and, and why am I saying this? Because, again, look at the text. I want you to look at verse 28. The text says, uh, rather, verse 27, he says, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have, I heard. I heard. He says, I heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. He says, now watch this. I want you to see this. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. I will do to you the very things I heard you say. Do you realize you're always praying? Did you hear what I just said? You're always praying. You just don't know that you are. Everything that comes out of your mouth, God hears it. That's prayer. You don't have to get on your knees and start a prayer to be praying. Everything that comes out of our mouths, God hears it. And notice what God did. God responded to what they said. Watch this. Look at the text. The Bible says, uh, and that's what, you know, folks say, be careful what you ask for. I'm a, let's go, let's take it further than that. Be careful of what comes out of your mouth, period. Watch. The Bible says in verse 29, it says, in this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Verse 30, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Verse 31, as for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them. Now, that you said, huh? He said, uh, uh, whatever God says, he says, he says, but uh, where am I? Verse 31, as for your children that said, you'll be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in the desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering from your unfaithfulness. How many of our children are dealing with the junk that we cause? Come on, say amen. And then, and then we've got the nerve to chastise them because of the stuff they do, but our children are the fruit of us. Go on, the Bible says, uh, verse 34, for 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. Woo, Lord. Notice here, verse 35, I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community, which has band together against me. They will, they will meet their end in the desert. Here they will die. Somebody shout, watch your mouth. Now, we are talking about uh, you know, the biggest moment in the children of Israel's history, after being in slavery for 400 years, generations have been in slavery, God delivers them. Now, I want you to get the picture now. I want you to see God deliver these slaves with signs and wonders. He pulls them out of Egypt, takes them through, creates a highway in the middle of a lake. As soon as they get out, he lets the water come down and kills all their enemies. 
Then, as soon as their feet hit dry land, the Bible says they start shouting and they start praising the Lord under the leadership of Miriam. But not even 24 hours later, they started grumbling and complaining about where God took them. Can I just say this now? There is always a wilderness before a promised land. You have to go through, come on somebody, you have to go through the wilderness before you can get to the promised land. You've got to go through dry spells. You've got to go through hot places. You've got to go through times when the only thing to eat is manna. They were complaining that they didn't have steaks and french fries and chicken with sauce on it and God says hold on now he says the reason why I'm not going to feed you a buffet in the wilderness is because you'll end up getting comfortable in the wilderness the same way you got comfortable in Egypt are you hearing what I'm saying in here that's why God has to allow us to go through trials and tribulations and, and when we're going through he often he often allows us to go through with lack he, allow, he takes stuff away from us in the midst of our wilderness experience because he wants us to be able to appreciate where he's taking us but many of us are getting comfortable in the wilderness. I declare today that we're in the wilderness right now and many of us are comfortable in the wilderness in your personal life in your marriage in the raising of your children in your experience with God you got hooked on slavery Man, uh, this ain't in my sermon, but man, one of the things that drives me crazy is people that don't want to do nothing. They don't want to try nothing. That just are just stuck in the wilderness. That just are stuck in that season in their life where they've been talking about what they're going to do, when they're going to do it. And then these same folk talk about other people when they try something and fail, but you have sat there and you have done nothing with your life. How you judge your mouth? And so watch this now. 11 days has passed. That's all it took for them to get from Egypt to Canaan. 11 days. And now they're standing at a place called Kadesh, which in the Hebrew means holy. In other words, uh, the, the word for the area they're in is called Kadesh Barnea, which simply means holy wilderness. The wilderness experience of your life is holy. I don't know about you, but, 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 but we are closer to God when we are in the furnace than we, when we are not. That's why God has to keep so many of us in the furnace as long as he can. Because the minute we get out of difficulty, the minute we get out of trials, the minute we get out of tribulations, then we stop leaning on God and we start leaning on the stuff that God blessed us with. I'm amazed that students who, who are trying to get into a certain school and, and then they get into Case Western University and, and, and they were praying that they would be able to get through. They, they'd be the only black person in the class and, and, they, and they finally made it. And, and then when they get there, they forget about God in school and they get overwhelmed with their studies and they don't study anymore. They don't pray anymore. I'm amazed that single folk who, who were fasting and praying for a man and, and when God blessed them with a wife and when God blessed them with a husband and, and and now that they're gone, that same thing they prayed for has now taken their eyes off God. They don't have time for prayer meeting. They don't have time for Bible study. They don't have prayer. You prayed for the job. God gave you the job. The job pays you six figures. And you know you didn't deserve the job. You weren't qualified for the job. You stumbled and fumbled in the interview. But somehow God, in his kindness and in his mercy, he looked past your faults. And he saw your needs. And he gave you the thing that you asked for. And when you came out of the interview, you knew you didn't have it. And not long after, you got a call. And the call says you blew the interview away. And you get the job and the very thing God gave you. Because God loves you. You have allowed the very thing God gave you to stand in your relationship with God. And so here's what happens. They're standing there. They're, look, they can, they can see. And so if you read Deuteronomy, I know in Numbers 13, it says that it was God's idea to send 12 spies in. It was not. 
Deuteronomy says it was actually the people's idea. See, understand, I told, this, I told you this last week. If God's promised you something, he ain't going to do no peekaboo. Peekaboo doesn't increase faith. But notice what he did. God gave them what they asked for. Remember what I said. We're always praying because God is always listening. God said, go ahead. And God knew that when the 12 went in there, that they were going to leave discouraged. But you know what he was doing? Remember, the wilderness is a holy experience. It's an ex- the word holy means to set aside and sanctify. In other words, God knew that he had to eliminate a generation before he can go in the promised land. Oh, you know I'm going there. It is what it is. Us old folk, and I'm there now because I'm 35. I don't count. I'd have been, listen, it said 20 and up. It said 20 and up. It said 20 and up. If, check this out. If we were the children of Israel, we all would have died in the wilderness, except for a few of the kids downstairs and a few other folk in the sanctuary. So this ain't a young folk versus old folk sermon. This is a sermon about folk who are grown. Whether you young grown or old grown, come on, say amen. Grown folk got a problem with their mouth. I've heard old people say, well, I, I, I didn't live long enough now. I'm just going to say whatever I feel like saying. Have you noticed that the older you get, the less reserved and careful you are about what comes out of your mouth? You figure, I done raised five kids now. I done, live, I done work for 30 years. Uh, you just going to take it or leave it. And whatever comes out of my mouth, you just going to have to deal with it. But remember, whatever comes out of your mouth, God's listening. And God declares that you have to learn how to watch your mouth. If you don't learn how to watch your mouth, you're going to miss out on the promised land. So here it goes. Y'all know the story. Twelve spies came back. Ten said, forget about it. Don't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. God said, I never told you to do it. I'm going to do it. But they were so consumed with themselves. As a matter of fact, when they went in, they saw, they didn't see all the blessings of God. They saw all the negative stuff. Be careful of people who have a negative eye. Be careful if you have a negative eye. I've got to be careful if I'm always looking for what's wrong with folk instead of looking for what's good with folk. I've got to learn how to get, you've got to check your heart. Tim came back. Tim said, we can't do it. And then they get to lying. Oh, and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the earth sucks up the inhabitants. You're lying. You just said that the inhabitants were big and short. You didn't see nobody die out there. You're lying simply because you're afraid. And one of the things I've discovered is, is that fear is usually the stimulator that makes us say stupid stuff. And so Joshua and Caleb was like, no, 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 no. Slow down now. We can do this thing. And notice, they did. notice Joshua saw the same things. Caleb saw the same things they saw. But see, their perspective was different. God raised up a generation of people that learned how to see God in the promised land instead of the giants. They saw the giants. They didn't ignore them. I'm not talking about those folk who just dismissed problems. They saw it. They calculated it. They made a mental note of it. And I can imagine that Caleb said, that's just a bigger dude for me to kill. One of the things I've discovered is that if there are no giants in the land, then it's not God. It's not the promised land if there are no giants. God is not in it. Oh, hear me, hear me right now. Some of you are experiencing serious turmoil in your marriage. I've come to tell you that because there's difficulty, that means God's in it. That means you child, you got to change. Oh, come on in here, somebody. That means there's some changing that you got to make. If the, listen, understand this. God never leads us into green pastures first. He always leads us to a wilderness experience. And understand this. Oh, please help me to preach this today, God. What God is trying to do is not simply transport a group of people from slavery to the promised land. He's trying to transform a group of people from, the, from, the, from slavery to the promised land. And God cannot change you if God does not hurt you. Here it goes. Here it goes. So the report comes, right? I mean, Caleb does the best he can. But I'm just going to tell you right now. Negativity a little stronger than positive, positivity. Yeah. 
Man, I'm, I'm just to be honest with you. I do not watch local Cleveland news, and I probably should. But man, local news, I mean, yeah, you'd be like ready to kill yourself by the time you're done. Like, my goodness. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, come on, tabloid newspapers. There's a reason why they sit there right before you, you go through the uh, grocery line. Because they sell. People love dirt. People love negativity. People thrive on what's wrong. Politicians love smear tactics. See, what sells is negative. But here's the big idea of my sermon today. The big idea of my sermon today is this. Faith is contagious and so is unbelief. The way you transmit to infect faith or unbelief is with your mouth. What kind of environment are you creating in your life? Is it an environment of I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me? It's an environment, no matter what the situation is, no weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper. And some of us, we criticize some of the teachers on TV who talk about just speak it. And, and we criticize them because of, of, the, of the confessing and, and I, I claim it. I just, I just speak out things. But I want you to know something. This thing is very biblical. The word of God teaches us that with our mouths, life and death is in the power of our very tongue. You cannot escape from the idea that you just can't throw out words and they don't make a difference in people's lives. So you know what their response was? Uh, no. Let's go back to Egypt. We're getting rid of Moses. We're getting rid of God. Give us a leader. And you know what God did? God says, okay, if that's what you said, that's what you're going to get. Can you think about all the times you have spoken evil and negative? You ought to thank God right now that he didn't respond to some of the stuff that came out of your mouth. Let me teach this thing now, then I got to get out of the way. Now, no, no, no. their first complaint was this. They said, would to God that we had died in Egypt. Really? I mean, it's the wilderness. I mean, it's the promised land. There, there are people like that. They, they have no vision. And, and, and they want to just stay where they are. And they are willing to stay where they are and die. Un Everybody listen to me right now. I see some, uh, some closed eyes. I'm assuming they're in deep meditation. Understand what I'm about to say to you right now. Understand. Understand this. Check this out. They have no vision. Hear me. I'm speaking at a graduation tonight, and I've got to fly as soon as the service is over. And I'm going to tell those kids they need to see a vision. The parents need to help assist them in getting a vision. If without a vision, the people perish. Many of us do not want to go forward. We want Jesus to come to us, but we don't want to move forward. And understand, if you do not move forward, you will die. Next thing we discovered is, uh, they said, where doth Jehovah bring us into this land? When you lack vision, you lack the ability to notice where God is. Vision reminds you that there is a God. Some of us have sight. But sight and vision are two different things. Just because you can see doesn't mean you have vision. See, vision is seeing what you cannot see. I just believe that we don't have the things that God wants to give to us because we just lack so much faith. We're just so full of unbelief. We question everything. We doubt God for everything. We don't trust God for anything. Many of us have not even experienced. This is my burden today. We have never really experienced lately anything powerful in our lives. We've not seen anything miraculous lately. The last time we saw something was years ago because we stopped having vision. We stopped pressing forward. We stopped trusting God. So you know what they said? They said, let us make a captain and go back to Egypt. So they would rather choose a fool. Now, whoever this guy was who accepted the nomination was a fool. I mean, can you imagine sitting up in a business meeting and the folk are saying, yeah, we're going to disfellowship God. We're going to disfellowship Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua. Uh, and our leader that we have chosen is Julius Harden. Harden would be a fool to accept the position. You have accepted to go a 
against God. And remember what God said. God says, now you're going to see what it feels like to have God against you. Oh, my God. Many of you don't know it, but God is against you right now. He is against, he is provided, and I'm not saying against you in terms of your salvation, but he is putting resistance in front of you. Because like Balaam, you're going in the wrong direction. So God has to put a donkey in front of you to turn you around because you're so stuck in your ways. Watch this. So watch what happens. Talk about malice today. So why didn't they enter in? Turn to Hebrews 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Put that on the screen. Check this out now. This is why they didn't get in. We're going to be very clear today, and we'll get out of your way. This is why they did not get in. This is why they did not get in. Hebrews 3. I got to go. Verses 12 through 13, then we're going to go to verse 19. The Bible says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily. Did you hear that? Why would God tell us to encourage one another if our words didn't make a difference? It's the atmosphere of Glenville and your home, an atmosphere of encouragement. Many of us are hard on one another. We're too hard on, come on and talk to me in here. We're too hard on one another. Some of you grew up in hard homes and, and now you're hard on your children and, and you're just hard. There's no mercy. There's no grace. There's no encouragement. You wake up in the morning and there's nobody saying, you can do it. You can go forward. God's got plans for your life. I don't know about you and I don't care what you believe, but I believe in speaking those things that are not as though they are. And I declare over my wife, it is done. I declare over my children, you shall succeed. I declare over my daughter that no man shall come upon you. I Speak the word of faith. You've got to create an environment in your home where the word of God is comfortable. And notice what it says. Go to verse 19 of the same verse, same chapter. The Bible says, so, so we see that they, will, they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now, remember God said, I'm going to do to you everything, the very things you said. And just think about what we say to our children. Your home is unspiritual, not because you don't have worship. Your home is unspiritual, not because your husband is not in the church. Your home is unspiritual because of what comes out of your mouth. It's possible that a church could be unspiritual because our mouths are always running on negative junk. So watch this. Harvard Mental Health, a Harvard Mental Health study has revealed, now here's what I want to say. See, we'll say that the heart, their unbelief was the problem. That's what the Bible says. But you know why it was a problem? Everybody get this. Here's the, here's the, here's the twist. You've got to learn that everything you feel, you should not say. Now, I'm going to show, I'm going to show you now. Harvard, the Harvard, uh, Harvard uh, study on the power of praise. Harvard did a study on Christians on the power of gratitude and praise and came to discover that they were able to reverse feelings of discouragement and depression and negativity by simply offering up words of thanksgiving and counting their blessings. Now Ellen White takes this further. Are y'all ready for this? Now there are three laws of the mind that are espoused by Ellen White that is revealed in science. Number one, she says that the mind adapts to what it dwells upon. The Bible teaches us that by beholding 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, we are changed. If understand, I'm telling you, this is why you cannot watch and consume and dwell amongst people and, 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 and friendships and relationships that are negative and full of junk. And I'm trying to tell y'all, that stuff affects you. 
I'm not talking about we should not have friendships with people who got problems, but I'm saying the majority of your time should not be around folk that are like the housewives of Atlanta. <laughs> or New Jersey. Or Orange County. Or Hollywood, Beverly Hills. Or Cleveland. Or Maple Heights. Well, I mean, understand here now, I, can you imagine, some of you understand this, because you grew up in a home where there was always fighting, you grew up in a home where there was always fussing, you grew up in a home where there was always negativity, there was always you can't, you can't, you can't, there was always don't, 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 there was never a word of positivity, there was nobody speaking the word of faith, and I'm telling you right now that the words that you speak create the world that you live in. By beholding, we become changed. Number two, let me move on. Number two, conviction. Now, here's the thing. Conviction seeks expression. So understand this. The other day, I saw a real good movie. I, asked me if, I, mean, I saw a really good movie. And you know what I did? I called about four of my buddies. And I was like, man, dude, you got to see this. Man, this thing was awesome, man. Man, this, this was a great movie. Oh, man, this thing was, I mean, I was so excited about the movie. And my friends know I have a tendency to exaggerate. I was like, man, dude, this was the best movie I have ever seen in my life. But one of the things I learned is when you are convicted about something, you can't help but share it. Oh, I wish many of us could be like this about Jesus. Isn't that what Jeremiah said? Jeremiah said that, that the thing is so good to me that it's like fire. Shut up in my bones. That's why I can't help but praise him. That's why I can't help but give him glory. That's why I get up and sit down sometimes and, and rock in my because it's like fire. Shut up in my bones. Have you ever been there before where you sat at somebody's dinner table and, and the food was so good that you couldn't help it? It was like fire. Shut up in your when something is good to you, you can't help but talk about it. And the same is true about negativity. When you are convicted about pain, when you are convicted about what somebody did to you, when you're convicted about what somebody ain't doing and why they're not doing it and when they're going to do it, guess what? It will it find itself in expression. Bottom line, what I'm saying is, is whatever's in your heart is going to come out. Number three, last one from Spirit of Prophecy. If you want all the references, call my office on Tuesday. Now here it is. Now here's the thing. Expression strengthens the thoughts and feelings. Also, so understand what I'm saying here now. Our heart, right, produces words. But here's the good part. Our words can change how we feel. It's a circle. In God good. And I don't have time to read the statement today. But one of the things that Ellen White was saying was, she says, there are some of you who don't feel it. You don't feel good. It doesn't feel like it's working for your good. The Bible says all things work together for your good. It doesn't say all things are good. Amen. And so, and so sometimes you're faced with stuff and you're not feeling good. You don't feel like praising God. You don't feel like witnessing. You don't feel like getting out of the bed. You don't feel like fighting. You don't feel like trusting. You don't feel like depending. Anybody know what I'm talking about in here? You just get to the point where you just want to lay down and die. You're just tired of being sick and tired. And notice what Sister White says. She says, some of you say that I cannot speak what I don't feel. And Ellen White says, that's a wrong thought process. What you ought to learn how to do is speak what you want to feel. And as you declare how you want to feel, it's going to change how you feel. And I'm going to quote her now. Ministry of Healing, page 251 through 253. While words express thoughts, it is also true that thoughts follow words. Hallelujah! So whatever's going on in my natural mind that's full of mess, come on, talk to come on in here. How many got junk in your head? Come on, somebody. Work with me today. How many know you got some junk in your head? And you're fighting with the thing in your head. But guess what? You're not, you're not, you're not finished. It's not over for you. God says, now talk to yourself. Yes, yes, yes. Say self. 
good. I don't feel like praising you, but I declare you good anyway. I feel depressed. I feel discouraged. I feel weary. I feel tired. I don't think I can make it, but I declare the word of the Lord over my life, over my family, over my children, over my ministry. Hallelujah. Watch this. This is biblical. First Samuel 36 tells us that David, y'all remember when David was pretending he was crazy so he wouldn't get killed? The Bible says that when he was going through that season, that he encouraged himself. I didn't know I could do that. See, many of us are looking for somebody else to encourage us. You better get this. But did you know that you don't need nobody to encourage you? You find you a closet. You get in your car. Roll the windows up. Open up your mouth and declare, this is what God says about me. First John, first John 3.20. First John 3.20 says, First John 3.20 says, now watch this, it says, when your hearts condemn you. I mean, I know this text all my life, but I didn't see it like this. Understand now, what I'm saying to you right now is that faith is contagious. And so is unbelief. And even when you feel, and how many know you're going to feel that way? Some of us try to act too spiritual, man, act like you don't get down. You are setting yourself up for a psychiatric ward because you are too dismissive of what's real. And I'm not saying that we should not share with our brothers and sisters what we're experiencing. And sometimes it is a complaint. Sometimes it does. It's, it's, a, it's about what we're going through. But you cannot stay there. See, many of us love misery. We love the company of misery. We love being in darkness. We like people patting us and saying, oh, that's all right, honey. You're going to get through. Ah, oh, yeah, they did you wrong. Hey, look, I don't want them kind of folk in my life. I want the kind of folk in my life that says, get up, boy. Get up on your feet. Yeah, 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 yeah. The word of yeah, 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 yeah. God be upon you. Right, God says yeah. you shall live and yeah. not die. Yeah. The word of the Lord yeah. is upon you. Right. Do what the Lord has told you to yeah. do. Yeah. I don't want nobody. Yeah. I mean, the last thing I need when I'm contemplating leaving my wife, when I'm contemplating walking out on my children, when I'm thinking about leaving my job or, or leaving this world, I don't need nobody coming to me and dwelling in junk. I need somebody to listen to me and then say, all right, shut up. Enough is enough. The word of the Lord is in my mouth for you. And God says, all things work together for your good. Hallelujah. You complainers, you grumblers, you murmurers, you shall not inherit the kingdom of the Lord. Let me, I'm going to move real fast now. I'm going to move real fast now. There are a few texts from Proverbs I want to read to you about the power of the tongue. Notice what the Bible says, Proverbs 18:7. A fool's mouth is his undoing. You ain't going to have time to go to the scriptures. Just listen to me because I'm going to go fast. A fool's mouth is his undoing and his lips are the snare to his soul. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, 18, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs, 18, uh, Proverbs 21, 23 says, he who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. And I like how the New Living Translation says it. It says, watch your mouth and keep your tongue and you will stay out of trouble. Proverbs 5, Proverbs 15, 4 says, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. But, deceit, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. 
I'm going go on. James 1.26. If anyone considers himself religious, and I put this one up there. Put this one up there. James 1.26. I'll wait on you for this one. But this thing hit me right square between my eyes. Um, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. See, I'm trying to tell us, see, many of us that walking around here as if God is, God is just waiting to kill everybody else to save us. Many of us are going to miss out because of our mouths. James 3, 5 through 10. Go there. We'll put this one up there. James 3. Some of y'all heard this one before. James 3, 5 through 10. Is everybody on the same page today? Huh? Are we, all, are we good? James 3. <clears throat> Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. <clears throat> and, and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. So, as I close, what is the remedy? Now think about it. God just delivered you from slavery. For the next 11 days, you know what you ought to be doing? <clears throat> they should have had a praise party. For the next 11 days. Now, I'm amazed at how in my life <clears throat> I praise when I want to. But I also but I complain more than I praise. I'm not going, I'm not going to go there. There's only one remedy for how you feel is praise. You never hear people saying much criticism about complainers, but there's always criticism about praisers. Why is that? Because it's natural to complain, but it's unnatural to praise. God has got to move in you to praise. Praise is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a, I decide to declare that God is good. Notice what the scripture says. Psalms 34, 1 says, now watch this, I will extol the Lord at all times. Well, why don't we believe that? Please help me. Look, somebody talk to me about this Bible text. That sounds like a command to me. It says, I will bless the Lord. Now remember what I said. What you say God takes seriously, even though you don't think you're saying it to God. So just imagine if you start directing to God a lifestyle of praise. Yeah. Yes. Psalms 22 says that he dwells in the praises. Psalm 71, 8 says, my mouth is filled with praise all the day long. Understand what your pastor is teaching you today. Praise has got to move from your heart to your mouth. <laughs> Psalms 109.30 says, with my mouth 
I praise the Lord. Hebrews 13, 15 says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually, what? What did the Bible say? What did it say? I don't hear you. What did it say? What did it say? What does that mean? Is it natural to do that? You have got to fight for praise. Now, I end with your girl, your auntie, your grandmother, Ellen G. White. She says, let us take heed to our words. Let us talk faith and we shall have it. Never give place to a thought. Tamika, you told us last week to take captive every thought. Look, and I ain't, I'm, not, I'm not talking about praise and worship service. I'm talking about when service is over and you're at home. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God, you're worthy. I was in the bathroom this week doing something. <laughs> and then I had a, a thought came to my mind. Oh, I know what it was. I, I think I told Craig uh, sometimes. And, and I, I, I just walked out of my driveway and I saw that I had two cars that were paid for. And when I got upstairs, it hit me. And I said, oh, glory. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Did you ever do that? You're just walking through the house and you just start saturating the atmosphere with, woo, God. Praise you, Jesus. God, you're awesome. Ellen White says, ever give place to a thought of discouragement in the work of God. Never utter a word of doubt. It is as seed sown in the heart of both speakers and hearers to produce a harvest of discouragement and unbelief. This is my last one. If we thought and talked more of Jesus and less of ourselves, somebody ought to get on their feet on this right here. If we talked more of Jesus, I want a praiser just to stand up who just ain't as uninhibited today, who's not looking to the left or right of them, trying to figure out when the next person is going to praise God, but somebody who will stand, as David said, in the council. She says, if we talked more of Jesus and less of ourselves, we should have much more of his presence. Oh, hallelujah. And did y'all hear what I said? When we praise God, the glory of God comes close. When we thank God, the presence of God comes near. If you want to run away, God, you got to complain. But I don't know about you, but I want more of God in my life. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Come into my heart. Come into my home. Come into my marriage. But I got to make a choice.